Acts 17, verses 10 through 15 is where we'll be this morning. In order for us to be a healthy church, we're going to need healthy members. And so what does it mean then to be a member of a church? Um, Many times here in the South, the understanding of being a member of the church, maybe just coming on Sunday, that's what it means to be a member of a church. And, And let me pose to you, that's not what it means to be a member of the church, but Interestingly enough, that, that idea of, okay, I, I go on a Sunday, or I go every few Sundays, or I go during the holiday, whatever it is, um, that idea is actually really hard to break here in the South. I remember when I first moved here to be a church planter, I had several people, uh, when I worked at Home Depot stores, when I was planting this church part-time, I'd meet people, and they'd say, I'm here, I'm here to start a new church. They would say, oh, do you have to have your contractor's license to do that? Are you a builder? Did you, did you go to construction management? You know, did you go to school for construction management? As if I'm building a building, like a church, and that's what a church is. Uh, let me pose to you, that is not what the church is. Uh, but breaking American Christianity from that idea of church is what we do on Sunday or church is just a building is, I think, one of the most difficult hurdles to cross when trying to be a missions-minded or biblical church. But if we're honest today, uh, in this morning, uh, which hopefully you are, right, um, your desire uh, to be in the church really doesn't have to do with being uh, in uh, a, a sanctuary or a gathering or even a worship service, it's really about the people. And to be honest, most of you were really drawn to a church for the very first time or maybe for, for longevity as you stayed in a church. It's, it's really had to do with the people that God brought in your life to help disciple you and help you grow. And so this morning, uh, what I want to do, my, my goal is to explain what it, what, why it's important, A, that we are a church that gathers well and scatters well. And I'll explain what those are. And then what it means to be a part of the church gathered and scattered. So let me explain both of those before we get into the text. The church gathered is what we do right now. It's what we do on Sunday mornings. It's when we come together to worship. Now, I know most of the time we think about worship in a church service, we think that's singing. Well, worship is singing, but it's not just singing, all right? Worship is fellowship. It's when we met in the hall and we shared our lives together. It's when we made fun of Cowboys fans, congratulating them on the last game of the season this Sunday. Um, it's when we come together and we get to use our spiritual gifts together. It's when we hear God's word together. I don't know if you know this or not, but as you sit there right now in your seat and you hear God's word, hopefully you're doing it as an act of worship before God. Later on, we'll, we'll come up to the table and we'll take communion together. We'll remember Jesus' sacrifice together. That's an act of worship. Uh, later on, there'll be a basket that will go by, and we say it like this. If this is your first time here, you're not obligated to give, but if you call Integrity Church your home, if you're a member here, we're going to invite you to give, and we invite you to give because we believe that is an act of worship. And there's so much more that goes into that. When you serve, that's worship before God. As the guests are gre- or as the volunteers are greeting you as you leave, they're doing that out of an act of worship before God. So that's part of the church gathered. We come to worship. We come to proclaim. We come to receive. We come to be encouraged. We come to fellowship. That's all worship together. That's the church gathered. Now, there's the church scattered. 
And church scattered is what we do during the week. So we find ourselves in people's homes. By the way, that's also worship. Worship just doesn't happen here. It continues to happen throughout the week. And when we come in people's homes, we do that so that discipleship can happen. We, we hear it in integrity say discipleship happens in community. And so throughout the week, you'll meet in different homes and we'll take the Bible, what we're learning and growing in on Sunday, and we'll go through it together. We don't just do Bible studies, though. We have meals together. We pray together. We hold each other accountable We serve our city together. And so that's the church scattered. So we have the church gathered and the church scattered. So what I want to do with with the rest of our time is show you how important this is, the church gathered and the church scattered for you. Why does this matter? Why should this matter to you? And so in the second half of Acts, the book of Acts, we see Paul's uh, missionary journeys. And in Acts 17 is the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. He begins to travel in strategic cities that would impact smaller surrounding cities. And Paul's idea is that the church, as it gathers, as it scatters, would multiply. And so in Acts 17, we see Paul and Silas, they go to this place like called Thessalonica. And Paul is a former Jew who goes into the synagogues at Thessalonica and he begins to stir up problems. He goes into his, where his formerly, former people came from, the, the Jews in the synagogue, and he begins to preach the gospel, which ends up creating quite the controversy because he's preaching things that are counter everything that a Jew would have understood or knew, known. And so here, it it creates a division. You see some in Thessalonica, they become believers, they become excited about this new word from God, this gospel of Jesus Christ, and they become Christians for the very first time. And then there's others who want it the old way. They want to keep with the Jewish traditions and the Jewish customs, and they began to antagonize those who became believers, especially Paul and Silas. And then what happens, uh, the, the text actually says, Paul and Silas, their, their gospel message, it turned the world upside down in Thessalonica. And it caused this uproar that it led to Paul and Silas and the other believers to be banished from Thessalonica. So much so that they traveled 40 miles outside of Thessalonica into a place called Berea. And in Berea, Paul, Silas, They do the exact same thing. They come and they bring the gospel to Berea. But what I love about what Acts 17 shows us is the gospel saturates the Bereans in such a way we begin to see what the gospel can do to a community when the community truly embraces the gospel. And so we'll pull it up in Acts 17 verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away, and that's away from Thessalonica, by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all what? Eagerness. Examining examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. 
Many of them, therefore, believed with not a few uh, Greek women of high standing as well as men. Now, immediately you begin to see the gospel impact in Berea different than what we saw in Thessalonica. And I want you to show you just three different things that we see out of this passage of why it was different. First of all, if you look in verse 11, the very first part, it says that the Bereans received the word with eagerness. Eagerness. This is simply evidence of the gospel working in a person's life. People who get the gospel in turn will love the word of God. People who get the gospel in turn will love the word of God. I've been a pastor, I've been in ministry now for about 17 years. And most of the time, when I see a person become a believer, they have a desire to share the gospel with someone who doesn't know Christ. And the next thing they want to do is they want to know God. They want to read the Bible. Um, For my own personal testimony, when I became a believer, I was 11 years old. And for many of you, you know, I struggled through school. And the very first thing I want, first book I ever really truly wanted to, be, to read was the Bible. Why? It's because that's what the Bible does in a person's life. I hate that thing. All right. I hope it goes away. Um, pay attention. All right. Focus. All right. That's what the, the word of God, when a person becomes a believer, that's what happens in their life. They want to read the Bible. So here I was, 11 years old. I became a Christian. I told my dad I wanted to read the Bible. So my dad, um, he gave me a, he pulled out this King James Bible. And if you don't, if you struggle to read, may I pose, don't start there, all right? Gave me a King James Bible, and I remember just reading, and I didn't know how you, I just opened Genesis and started reading. And somebody said, read the Gospel of John. I don't know who ever came up with that idea. If you're a new believer, read the Gospel of John. If you're not a believer, read the Gospel. It'll make perfect sense. It really doesn't, all right? Especially if it's King James. And so here I am. I'm like, God talks so weird. Why does God talk this way? And I began struggling and trying to understand it. And eventually they, my, my parents got me an NIV Bible. Help me understand the Bible better. Um, but here's the thing. That was a natural response Because a supernatural God got a hold of my heart, and that is what you'll want to do when you become a believer. You'll want to know God, and you'll want to know God through his word. I wasn't perfect, but I wanted to know him. And this is how, by the way, if you want to know what does it look like if God is at work, it's not necessarily, well, there's got to be this emotional response. Or it's got to be, well, this church is growing by this number of people and da 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 and all these things. Are happening. That's how we know God's at work. Listen, it's more simple than that. God is at work when God's word is being proclaimed and God's people are responding to it. They're just wanting to live their life in obedience to him because he's, he's speaking and we're listening. And there's an eagerness to know him more. And that's what you see throughout Scripture. This is what you see in the church of Berea. They have this eager and teachable heart that wants to know God more. And so this is not necessarily one of those situations where you say, okay, this is what you're supposed to do if you become a believer. Okay, you're supposed to receive and all these things. No, it's just you're going to have a desire to read Scripture if you're truly a believer. You're going to want to know him more. 
Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he was a pastor in the 1800s, he says, to me, the Bible is not God, but it's God's voice. And I do not hear it without all. Why does he say that statement? I can't hear it without all because he really believed that this is God's way of communicating himself to us. And so the the Bereans, they wanted to know this word eagerly, but it also says, second part of verse 11, 11 says, examining the scriptures daily. Now this is key. These aren't lazy Christians. And I don't say that because they're just studying their Bibles every day. I say that because I'm referring to the latter part. They, they did so to see if these things were true, to see if these things were so, meaning they didn't get their theology from Google. They didn't get their theology from Wikipedia. And I know that seems really reliable. Every person in the, in the world can weigh in on a particular topic, and it just seems like that would be where we go to get information but it's really not, all right? These believers had a different approach. They believed the Bible themselves to see what was, being, what was said to be accurate, what the apostles were teaching them. They went and they, had this, they demonstrated this care for God's word that they would, in community, learn what God says. And that's what I want you to see. They did this in community. They did this collectively as a group of people. And I think that's important because if we want to really grow in Christ, it doesn't happen through isolation. It happens when men and women get a hold of God's truth and they want to know more about it in community. That's why at Integrity we say discipleship happens in community. Some might argue that all you need to do to grow is to hear a good sermon. Let me just pose to you that if you're coming here to just grow by just hearing a sermon and then leaving, and that is your only connection to the church, let me just tell you, you're going to be let down. I ain't that good. No pastor is that good, by the way, because you weren't designed just to hear sermons, and that's your relationship with the church. You're designed for community. Discipleship happens in community. And so it's not just good sermons. Now, we need good sermons. I'm a, I'm a fan of good sermons. We, we take books of the Bible, we go through them verse by verse so that you would know what God says. You would know how to accurately handle God's word. You would be equipped to do that well. But listen, it, you need good sermons, good grounded truth being proclaimed to you. And then you also need community to come together, dissect God's word together, pray for one another, hold each other accountable, build each other up. That is how God has designed it. So if you're just coming and you're coming for preaching and worship, and you're missing what the Bereans had. Therefore, you're not getting a full picture of what God intends to do in and through the local church. Okay, so I want you to see how this plays out in Berea. I don't want you to think that what I'm advocating here is some sort of sterile, boring gathering of people who meet and have like a nerdy Bible study, okay? That's not what's happening here. What you're going to see next in verses 13 through 15 is this uncontained joy that comes when people 
grapple with God's word, and they do that in community. And, and, and we're going to see next is it sort of oozes out into the city. And then the word begins to travel so far that even those people who rejected them in Thessalonica, 40 miles away, heard about it. That's what you're going to see next. Look in verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him in as far as Athens, and after receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So what happened? Well, their love for the Lord, their love for the word, their love for community, it began to ooze out so much that Thessalonica heard. And Thessalonica came back because there were those in Thessalonica that were anti-gospel. They come to Berea and they try to break up the church. But then God in his sovereignty uses even that tragedy to propagate the gospel, to make the gospel known throughout the region. So what happens? Well, Paul is then sent out of Berea to plant more churches. So what happens? They mature and they multiply. Every church needs to mature and multiply. Paul needs to leave who stays, Timothy and Silas. Timothy and Silas stay because they're pastors, they're disciplers, they need to stay to help the Bereans continue to grow, continue to understand God's words, they can can reflect the gospel and live missionally in their city. Paul is a church planner. God is using these circumstances to send out Paul and to plant more churches. And this is why I believe the church does not exist to stay in one city or region. It's designed, the church is designed to be a movement of churches planting churches. So we as a church, why do we mature? Well, obviously it's to know Christ more, but it's also to multiply. Why do we multiply? We multiply so that we can gather worshipers all throughout the world so they also can mature and multiply. And here at Integrity Church, we've nailed down everything we want to do with just those two words, mature and multiply. Why? Why do we do that? So that we can have what the Bereans had. So we can actually not just be what the Bereans had, but really be a biblical community. That's what the church of Berea was. They were a community built around the gospel, and this is just what happens when the gospel is produced, when gospel work is produced. This just is what shows us that community that consistently gathered around the gospel looks like. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 10, verse 23. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want you to notice 
the writer of Hebrews, all he's doing is just reflecting what we just saw in the text. He's just reflecting exactly what the Bereans did. But let me just show you the imperatives that we see in Hebrews 10. First of all, he says, hold fast the confession of our hope. That's for every believer. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And he says, not neglecting to meet together. That's what the church of Berea did, and that should be our hope as well. And so based on what we just saw in God's word, let me show you what I think is practically important for us to become a church member. Many of you Hebrews 10, and this passage I just read is sort of a staple commandment sort of guilt verse. Like, why should you be in church? Well, Hebrews says, don't neglect to meet together. And it's sort of this sort of guilty response. Like, this is a commandment. You're, you got to do it. Don't neglect this. You know, be here every Sunday. Don't miss a Sunday. You don't want to neglect this. And it's sort of this way to kind of guilt someone to, okay, I got, I'm not supposed to miss church and I got to go. Let me, let me tell you, there's more to this text than that, all right? Everything that, that the writer of Hebrews is communicating in these verses is the building up of a believer. He says, hold fast to the confession of hope. Stir up one another to love and good works. Yeah, you're not neglecting to meet together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the day, as you, all the more as you see the day drawing near, all the more as you await Christ's return, this is the life that he wants you to live. This is the life that God wants you to have. It's the building up of a believer. And so let me, let me unpack these, these few things that we see. He says, hold fast the confession of our hope. What does that mean? Well, we have to be a church if we want this. Hopefully we want this, right? We want this. Good. Okay, good. I was worried. Um, I was about to put in my resignation. They don't don't want this. Um, Hold fast the confession of our hope. We have to be a church that is consistently saturated with truth. We say it this way in integrity. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. We want to be a church that holds close to Scripture and does our best to communicate what God says. We want to do our best in that. So we need that. We need that from up front when me and one of the elders, one of the leaders here preaches. We want to do it in the community. We want to raise up healthy um, small group leaders that can help lead you and shepherd you through that process as the church gathers. We want to be a church that holds fast to our confession of hope. Furthermore, we want you to know what we believe as a church. So it's important that you go through the membership process to know what we as a church believe about the Bible. And so we offer things like the starting point lunch. We will actually have that on March 5th. Starting point lunch is your starting point to to move forward to become a healthy member of a local church, particularly here. And so we want you to know our theology, we want you to know our vision, we want you to know our values, we want to know you, we want to hear your testimony on how Jesus saved you. Why? So that we can together, as a body of believers, can together hold fast the confession of our hope. And our hope is that we would have this life that we enjoy here, that we enjoy Christ together as we await Jesus to come and take his bride. It's just important that we're healthy in that way, and we're not going to be healthy if we don't do that 
together. So he says, hold fast the confession of our hope. So that's the first thing. The second one is this. Stir up one another for love and good works. Now, if you miss anything else in this sermon, do not miss this. Because being a Christian is not about avoiding hell. Many times we hear the gospel in the South, it's about, you don't want to go to hell, do you? You want to go to hell, so you got to pray this prayer and get into heaven, and that way you don't want, you know, you want to be in heaven where mommy and daddy are, and mansions, and hell is like, you know, bad, that's where Satan is, and mommy and daddy aren't there, and so it's like, what choice are you going to make? Well, I'm going to choice heaven over that, I mean, like, you know, so you're, you're kind of like in this weird dilemma to pray, like, get yourself out of hell prayer, but that's not the Christian life. God actually promises you that not only do you get this inheritance in heaven and you get to enjoy him in glory forever, but he also promises those who believe abundant life. Jesus says it this way in John 10. He says, the thief comes only to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and to have it abundantly. So how are you going to have this life? How are you going to have life abundantly? What does that mean? Well, there's four tools I want to show you of what it means that God has given you that you can have your life abundantly. Don't miss this, all right? These four tools are important. If you want to have abundant life, you've got to get these. Who wants abundant life? Wow, okay. Happy New Year to you. All right. Um, the first tool that God gives us if we want abundant life is a new heart. Now, if you want a new heart, you have to be a believer in Jesus. You have to repent of your sins and trust that Jesus Christ lived a perfect and sinless life. He died in your place. He rose from the grave. He conquered the penalty that you and I deserved. And if you repent of your sins, acknowledge that you're a sinner, repent of your sins, and surrender your life to his gospel, his word, he will take out a heart that when you were born was at war with God. He takes out that heart, and then he replaces it with a new heart. And that new heart then makes you an incurable God lover. You begin to love the things that God loves. You begin to hate the things that God hates. And he makes you into a new person. Scripture says, behold, uh, the old has gone. All things have become new. You have a new heart. So that's the first tool you have. To have an abundant life, you need a new heart. And if you're a believer, you're going to get a new heart. Congratulations. The second thing is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is promised to everyone who believes in the gospel. Everyone who's repented, everyone who's trusted Christ. Not only do you get a new heart, but you get the Holy Spirit. And the indwelling Holy Spirit then lives in you and causes you to abide. He finishes the work that Jesus started in you, calls you to fight sin, convicts you, encourages you, and he empowers you by giving you gifts and empowers you by carrying out the the, the the word of God, the gospel, to the world. That's what the Spirit does. So if you're a believer, you have all of the Holy Spirit that you're going to get. You're guaranteed that you are going to get a new heart and the Holy Spirit if you're a believer. There's no varsity level Holy Spirit people in here and junior varsity level. You have the Holy Spirit and it's given to you if you're a believer, which means 
you're going to endure this world. It may not feel like it at times. You're going to endure it. You're going to hate sin more and more and more as you grow. Why? The Holy Spirit's doing that in your life. You're going to be convicted of sin. You're going to be encouraged even when you're down and even when you fight, face trials. You're going to be encouraged in the Spirit because the Spirit brings you back to the next thing I want to show you. And that's the Word. So He gives you a new heart. He gives you the Spirit. He gives you the Word, the Bible. So not only do you have these two things, but you have God's written word. That way you might know him and know what it means to worship him, know what it means to obey him, know what it means to be the church, to live out the mission of God. You need the word to do that. That's the third tool. The last tool, he gave you a new heart, the Holy Spirit, the word of God, the last guess community, the church, the church, gospel community. You have God's people to now help you grow. You have others to help you discover your identity in Christ, help you to understand the word. They hold you accountable. They help you fight sin. They pray for you. And this is why discipleship, it happens in community because God has designed it this way. And so listen, if, so you have this new heart, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Bible, we have the church, all of these ways God wants you to have the abundant life so that you would hold fast to confession, so that you would, um, you would, you would uh, work together to stir one another up for love and good works. But here's the thing about all four of these things. Two of them are automatically given to you when you become a believer. What, two, what those two things are? A new heart, automatically given to you when you become a believer. The Holy Spirit, automatically given to you when you become a believer. The other two, the Bible and the community, the church, you have to work to get those things, right? You have to discipline yourself to say, I'm going to read the Bible. How many of you already started a Bible plan and maybe you've already not stuck with it? Why? Because discipline's hard. It's like, I've got to got to work and understand this. I've got to ask other people what they think of it. I've got to listen. I've got to be teachable. I've got to know how to interpret the Bible. It's, 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 it's work. But guess what? Even in that work, the spirit who God gives you that's given to you automatically when you became a believer helps you understand it. Not only that, but you also, the other one you have to work for really is the church. You have to work hard to be in community. You have to work hard to get up on Sunday and come to the nine where there's a little bit more room. Like you have to work a little harder to do that and be a part of the community. You have to work harder to say, I've got to cut out a a, a time during the week where I've got to sacrifice this thing and be a part of um, a small group. I've got to I've got to figure out a way to watch This Is Us on Hulu and miss it and come to small group and be a part of community. And I've got to work really hard to be transparent in a small group and share what's going on in my life. And I don't like doing that. I don't like kind of opening up. I've got to share my sin struggles. And I, I kind of want to look perfect. I kind of want to like got it together. So this is going to be hard, right? I've got to share that. But like, it's a sacrifice. But listen, it's a guaranteed tool that God has given us to help us Enjoy and have this abundant life that he promises you. If you want this abundant life, you got two things that are guaranteed. Holy Spirit, new heart if you're a believer. 
The other two, the Bible, you've got to discipline yourself to, to know him and, and read it, just like the Bereans did. The church, you've got to discipline yourself to be in community, to be a part of the church gathered and scattered. But it's part of you enjoying this abundant life that he promises. And so, maturing believer, a maturing believer is going to long for these things. Every believer needs to be stirred up for love and good works. And friends, that will not happen in isolation. It happens through the local church. So if you're a believer, you are a part of the universal church. You belong to the body as a whole. Churches scattered throughout the world. You're a part of that, but every believer, so you're automatically in. But every believer also needs to be part of the local church. A local church is one that they are accountable to. It's one that you are, you are under the leadership and care of. One that you are partnered with and working shoulder to shoulder, stirring up others with love and good works with other believers to make Jesus known, to mature and multiply. And so my question this morning is very simple. How are you making steps to be committed to a local church? The very first step is very simple. And hopefully you've made that step already. But perhaps there's some here today that have not. The first step is, in order to be a part of the church, you must know the head of the church. Who's the head of the church? It's not me. It's none of the elders here. It's none of the elders of any other congregation or pastor of any congregation or overseer or bishop of any congregation. No, it's the Lord Jesus. You have to be under his headship in your life. And what does that mean? Simply means this. You believe in his finished work on the cross, his sacrificial death and atonement on the cross for you, his resurrection from the grave, and you've, you've surrendered to the head of the church, Christ Jesus. It means you're a believer. So you can't be a part of the local church unless you're a believer. So you have to be a believer. So maybe today, your your first step of being a part of a church is becoming a believer. If you want the abundant life, you have to be a believer. But for some of you who are believers, maybe the next step for you would be to join a small group. We start those not this week, but the next week. Maybe you're just coming on Sunday morning, and that's great. And we're so glad that you're here. And we just want to love you while you're here. We just want you to be a part of this community while you're here. We want to fellowship with you while you're here. But we're not even designed just for this. We're designed for church gathered and church scattered. So we want you to scatter through the week with us and see you in a small group. Because that's how we count the health of our church. We don't count health by who shows up on Sunday. We don't even count growth by that. We count it based on how we're growing in our small groups. So I encourage you to be in one because every believer needs community. And it's one of the tools that I believe is so forsaken by many, specifically here in Southern culture. Don't miss gospel community in your life. So maybe this is a step for you. Maybe for others of you, maybe you're in a small group and you say, okay, I'm a part of this. But maybe you need to join Starting point. This is the next free lunch we have on March 5th. You need to sign up for it in advance. 
And you would then take steps from there to officially join Integrity Church. We'd encourage you to do that. That way we know who you are. We can love you. We can care for you. And, and then you know what it means to serve. And, and, and we can work together for the sake of the gospel. Maybe for, for, for others of you, it's just to give. The local church cannot exist without the generosity of believers who sacrificially and regularly give. And so it's rare that I meet Christians who say, I was as generous as I wanted to be last year. Most of us want to grow in our generosity. And so in order for integrity to continue to be gospel-centered and missional and do all the things we want to do, plant more churches, raise up better leaders, we need generous believers, healthy believers who can make a discipline to give regularly. So I want to encourage you to do that as a next step to becoming a healthy member. The last one I would encourage you in is to serve. Here at Integrity, we uh, serve one another. We serve the community. I would encourage you to do both. Our philosophy here in serving together is attend one, serve one, where you can come at a service, whether it be the 9 or 11, and the service that you don't attend, you can serve. You can serve on a hospitality team. You can serve on counting. You can serve in the band. You can serve in Integrity Kids. Right now, we have uh, a need in Integrity Kids, and it's a great ministry, y'all. It's a great way to love and serve parents who come, people who've never even been to church before. They bring their kids, and they want to put them in the back, and they want to know that someone there is trustworthy. So we do background checks and all those things to make sure they are trustworthy and make sure they know and love the gospel and cherish the gospel. We want you to make sure uh, that you're cared for when you come. And so this is a great way to serve. It's a great way to impact these little impressionable hearts that are back there that need to hear the gospel. And sometimes you're the first person that can share the gospel with them. Maybe their parents have been trying for a long time, but you're the first person outside of their family that can share the gospel with them. What an incredible, incredible opportunity for you to serve. And so I encourage you, if you're not serving, these are great places for you to plug in. And so I don't know what step you need to take this morning, but my hope is that you would take a step toward becoming a healthy church member. To become a believer, maybe for those of you who are not, Maybe for those of you who are not in community, you would join a small group. Maybe you would give. Maybe that you would serve. Maybe you would take steps to officially join our church. But would you make a step toward becoming a healthy church member? And it's our hope that wherever you are in your walk with Christ, that you would help us as we continue to mature and multiply believers to leave a gospel legacy. Would we work shoulder to shoulder together and partner for the sake of the gospel. God help us. Let's pray.